Amen. Good singing. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all this morning and be together with you. And we're so very glad to have those of you who are visiting with us this morning, as well as those who are with us online. Thank you so much for your presence this morning. And if we can ever serve you, be sure to let us know. Uh, we are always here to do what we can to minister to you and serve you in any way. Imagine the possibility of 40 men from different backgrounds scattered all around the world over a span of more than a thousand years that they could come together somehow independently design a total of 66 separate metal parts that would eventually come together and be united and work in a perfectly working precision machine that would revolutionize the world. If you heard of that, you'd say that's impossible for people all over the world, 40 different people not working together to create their own independent part, component, over a span of over a thousand years, and then for them to all be united together and that somehow become a working machine that revolutionizes the world, that does anything, that can even turn on, that can even fit together. We'd say that's absolutely impossible. And I would say, you're absolutely right. That's impossible. It's impossible with man. But that's the point about studying the Bible. It's not impossible with God when we talk about how the Bible came about. And that's what we're talking about today in looking at the question of what about the Bible? The Bible is an amazing story that we don't think about very often. And I want us to highlight it some today because the Bible story is that we have a book that God has given us written by 40 different people over the span of about 1,600 years. The authors come from various cultural, educational, economic uh, backgrounds, uh, writing in three different languages, and they produced a volume of 66 books that were literally breathed out by God himself as they wrote the words he guided them to write. And, and, and with man, something like this would be absolutely impossible. But that's the thing about the Bible, is that it is possible only because it's God's book. Uh, written by being breathed out and, and divinely inspired by God. So what about the Bible, though? Is it true? Is it reliable? Is it authentic? Can I trust it? Or is it just something that some guys came up with that's been a bestseller? How, how do I know? What, what can you tell me to help me understand the validity of the Bible. So I can trust it because if you live any time at all, if you go to college, if you talk to somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible, then you'll hear even sometimes what at face value might seem like convincing arguments or you might wonder, well, wow, what if that's true? That might make you wonder about the reliability and the truthfulness of the Bible. And so if you haven't come across those questions and those criticisms, then you probably will one day. 
And in fact, even if you haven't, it's a good subject to study. Now, this is a huge subject to study about the Bible itself. It's a massive subject. And so today, I hope we can just uh, scratch the surface, just highlight some, some, some key things to help you understand uh, the validity and reliability and trustworthiness of God's Word as we have it today. And I also hope that it will drive you to study yourself uh, on this subject, to study further, to, to understand more, because this is a subject you could study uh, on and on and gain more and more knowledge about. So if you hear someone say that the Bible can't be trusted for some reason, and if you hear what may even sound like a good point that they make, a convincing argument, and there are those out there, then I want to encourage you, why would you just believe that without checking it out? If you hear that, go study for yourself. Go talk to somebody, do your own study, and, and more than just a quick Google search. You know, uh, I've mentioned to our, our family doctor one time, uh, you know, and you feel, you feel ridiculous saying it, but I said, yeah, I was, I was researching such and such, and he said, oh, Dr. Google? You know, because he doesn't take much value. He didn't give Dr. Google much credibility. So don't just go to Dr. Google to learn something about the Bible. You need to really study. Don't do a quick uh, uh, search, and then you're going to just read some headlines from the things that come to the top of the search uh, results and then believe that. Really study for yourself, and you will find that the Bible is not just some uh, book that's come together haphazardly by some people that wanted to make a few bucks, but it is actually the divine word of God inspired by him. Because if the Bible is wrong, if the Bible is corrupt, if the Bible is defective, then our faith is meaningless. Now, some will say they believe in the Bible, but the stories are myths. They, can't, they didn't really happen. Creation didn't really happen like that. Noah's Ark isn't real. You know, things like that. You've got to study the Bible and study extra biblical evidence as well to, to get, come to a sound understanding. In other words, don't just believe everything you hear. So any criticism of the Bible should be explored so that you can understand for yourself what is true. And what you'll find, like many have done throughout history, is that the Bible has been analyzed and scrutinized and poked and prodded over and over and over again, only to be found that it is true. In fact, it's the most scrutinized book in world history. And far from being found to be just a bunch of fables and myths about people and places and events, the Bible is the most historically documented and factually accurate book ever written. Think about the amount of history that it covers, the amount of information that is inside of it. It is the most historically accurate and factually accurate book uh, ever written. Now, here's some scriptures within the Bible that talk about the Bible. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Paul wrote, all scripture 
is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul's telling us that all Scripture, and that would include for us today the Old Testament and the New Testament, is literally breathed out by God. In fact, that word breathed out or God breathed, some translations say inspired, is, was a new word that Paul coined there. That word did not exist. That word is not found anywhere else. And that word literally means God breathed this out. And he breathed out these words he wanted to give to us. So not only is the Bible God's literal words, his words are profitable for us in our lives. They're beneficial. They're useful. Look what Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, knowing this first, that uh, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was even produced, ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God carried them along. God uh, in, inspired them. He spoke to them the words to be written, to re be recorded in what we have as the books of the Bible. So God worked through these different men with different backgrounds, different educational levels, different personalities, different vocabularies, uh, different uh, places all over the world, different in, in almost every way, and he worked through them to bring about his words recorded for us what we have now on paper. And it was a very different process back then. Because at one point in the Old Testament days, I mean, they didn't have paper. They certainly didn't have apps on their phones where they could search the Bible. It, it, was, it was a very difficult process. They, they would record stuff on stone, on, on metal, on clay pots, on, you know, on, on, on cave walls. And, and so it was, a, it was a different kind of process there. But what we see is that God has been about bringing his word to his people. The Bible is God words revealing himself to us. So as I said up here, it came from God and then his word points us to God. That's the point of the Bible so that he can reveal himself to us and so that we can know him and have a relationship with him. And the Bible answers a lot of big questions that we ask, a lot of questions that adolescents ask when it comes to just forming their own identity. Who am I? Why am I here? What is life all about? What is, why do I exist? And the Bible answers all of these questions for us. So that's why I urge you to take time to study for yourself when you're told things uh, that contradict maybe what you believe about the Bible being accurate and authentic because all the evidence will verify the authenticity and integrity and reliability of the Bible. And that information is available to anyone who would take the time to study. Now, by the time of Jesus and the apostles, the Old Testament scripture had already been established. What's called the canon, what we call the canon uh, with one N, that means list or rule. 
And that group of, of books, of letters, those had already been established by the Jewish people throughout history. So by the time Jesus comes on the scene, that's why in the New Testament they refer to Scripture, uh, scripture the Holy Scriptures, it is written. Because they're referring to what everybody in their time period knows is what we call now the Old Testament. Testament means covenant, the Old Covenant. All of those Scriptures that God gave us uh, in those times. Now, G Jesus, after he was resurrected, he appeared to the disciples while they were uh, assembled together. They were, they were eating together and they were talking about everything that had just happened. And look what Jesus says in Luke 22, 44 and 45. He appears to them out of nowhere and they don't even, they're scared at first. He tells them, do not be afraid. And he tells them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What was he talking about? What we call today the Old Testament. So they understood what these scriptures are, this body of, of letters, of books that we call the Old Testament. That's what they had and that's what they understood uh, the scriptures to be. So over the years, thousands of pieces of scripture have been found in different places uh, in the world. In 1948, not that long ago, right, the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, and there's just tons of examples, and this is a more recent one, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. They eventually found, after the first discovery, they have eventually found 10 caves in that area. The Dead Sea is talked about in the Bible. That's a Bible lands area. Uh, 10 caves with over 800 scrolls, manuscripts, of scripture found preserved in clay jars because that's how those people there preserved the scripture manuscripts that they had. Most of them are of the Old Testament books. Now, the Bible has been reconstructed by modern scholarship from three different types of witnesses. Now, I know this is a little bit different kind of sermon, but it's important uh, as we, because we're Christians and we claim to believe in the Bible. So we ought to understand the Bible. We ought to be educated on the Word of God that we claim to believe, okay? So let me show you this. There's three different lines of witnesses or types of witnesses that verify uh, the reliability of Scripture as, as we have it today to know that we can trust it. First of all, the thousands of manuscripts thousands upon thousands of manuscripts. We have over 20,000 manuscripts of Scripture. And of the New Testament alone, there are 5,795. In fact, some uh, museums and places where they, they study these artifacts that have been found have manuscripts and stuff that they've not even yet gone through. And so the more they find, all it does is give us more validity to the Word of God. So there are very few that contain the whole New Testament because back then they didn't write, they, they couldn't write and print books like we can today that easily. They didn't have uh, desktop printers where they just hit print and print whatever they want. In fact, if they had a complete copy of the New Testament, it would have been enormous and too heavy and bulky just to even manage and carry around. And so that wasn't common. And then, of course, with the 
type of materials that they wrote on, they weren't easily preserved. And so a lot of them have not, uh, uh, not made it. So the second, uh, the second type of witness that we have uh, to understand the validity of Scripture are the different versions of Scripture that we have throughout history. Now, real quick, I know those look like big words and like we can't even, we don't, we're in Texas. We don't know what those words say. All we, we can understand the top two historical versions and then we're ready to go to Whataburger after that, right? But let me just hit these real quick. Targums, the first one. These are Jewish Aramaic translations of the books of the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament. They were written around between the 1st and 7th century A.D., okay? That's how old these things are. The Latin Vulgate, and there's more than these, these were the Gospels and the Old Testament translated by Jerome, who was a leading, I know it sounds like a modern name, like he was in the Jackson 5 or something, but that was his real name, translated by Jerome. The, this, he was the leading Bible scholar of his day. He was translated, they were translated from both Greek Old Testament and later he translated them directly from the Hebrew Old Testament into Latin. That's why they're called Latin Vulgate. This was begun in the year 382 and he finished around 405 AD. That's how old, and so what did he have to look at? He looked at the next one, the Septuagint and other documents. The Septuagint is the oldest translation of the Old Testament into another language. It's a Greek translation of the original Old Testament letters that were written in Hebrew. That's how old it is. It was translated after the Jewish people had been exiled. They no longer spoke uh, Hebrew for a period of time. There was Aramaic, and that's that third language in the Bible. They began speaking Greek as they were dispersed. That became the common language like English is today. And so it was translated uh, for the common person to be able to read. And that was completed in the second century B.C. That's how old that is. So we have docu- we have scripture all throughout history, copy after copy, that validates the originals. Now the New Testament, real quick, Codex Sinaiticus. Now that is because it was found near Mount Sinai. It was written in the fourth century, just about 300 years after Jesus and the apostles. Uh, were around and after the completion of the New Testament books, Revelation was completed in 96 AD. So it contains the oldest complete Greek New Testament, okay? And Revelation, I mean, uh, and it has about half of the uh, Old Testament in Greek. Now, the Codex Alexandrius contains almost complete New Testament. It it was written in the 5th century. Okay, I know that's a lot of kind of stuff that makes us start falling asleep. What we're building to is can I trust this Bible that I have here? Can I know that this is true or, or is it, can it not be trusted? Because I heard something and I, I don't know, is that true? How do I know this is God's word that can be trusted? Now the third, uh, the third way we have to verify that God's word is accurate and true is from what are called early church fathers. And those were just the early uh, Christian uh, uh, leaders, scholars, writers, uh, fathers, so to speak, in the, uh, the early centuries, okay? 
uh, names such as, some might be familiar, Augustine, Chrysostom, Tertullian, Eusebius, Origen, Clement, and Arrhenius, many more. They cited, scholars say, so much of the New Testament in their own writings that if we didn't have any other of the two sources, they cited so much of the New Testament, we could reconstruct the New Testament in its original form from their writings. That's how much they quoted Scripture in all of their writings throughout history in those early centuries. Does that make sense? So there are three extremely valid, absolutely reliable streams of sources that help us know we have the reliable Word of God. Another one was not a Christian, but a Jewish historian in the first century, Josephus. You've probably heard of him, and his documents reference many things that happened in the biblical New Testament days. He talks about James when James, the brother of Jesus, was killed, and he calls Jesus the so-called Christ. So, And he names James. So he validates as an extra-biblical source things that happened and are talked about in the Bible, and this is a legitimate historian. In fact, one great scholar, F.F. Bruce, uh, said he, th- he thought it was very peculiar that most historians understand the validity of Scripture more so than many theologians. That the historians can look at it from a historical perspective and say, yes, that's absolutely valid. Whereas you've got theologians who are the ones supposed to be saying, absolutely the Word of God is valid, who question it and doubt it and, and, and cast aspersions on it. So, Now, another interesting thing, one of those questions that we want to ask God, like, God, why are there mosquitoes? Why are there armadillos? Why, God? Another one to add to that list that you have is, God, why are there no original manuscripts preserved today? God, it just seems like in my really smart mind that if you wanted us to believe this, that the absolute originals would be preserved for us today, and we would have them somewhere, right? Doesn't that make sense? Well, that's another question to ask God, and maybe because he wants us to have faith. Maybe that's where it leaves us is with faith, because we do not have the actual originals of any letters. Yet we have thousands of copies of manuscripts, pieces and whole uh, manuscripts of Scripture. So, One of the things that happened was as soon as the letters were written, copies began to be made. Sometimes by an individual person, eventually by scribes where they would sit kind of in a a class setting and someone would read the original and they would sit there and copy and they would do that to mass produce copies. That's how they had to do that before uh, the printing press. And so uh, because human beings were making these copies, what happens? Sometimes... There's errors, right? Now, the errors in Scripture and these manuscripts, these thousands of manuscripts that we have, really errors isn't the best word, but you could call them errors. They're really more like typos because someone might put the wrong ending on a word or or, uh, put the wrong accent on, uh, Greek accent on the word or something like that. That's an unintentional error. Then there was intentional errors where that scribe might see that something was written wrong from the copy he's working from, and he makes a note in the margin for future use to explain the correction he made, and over time that got worked into the copy of the copy of the copy. 
Well, and so that might make us think, well, then we can't trust anything, any of the copies. Because of these textual variants is really a better way of saying it instead of errors. But the thing is, is that none of these textual variants or errors alter the message of the scripture in any way at all. They do not change what it's actually saying. Uh, So that's how insignificant the, the, the errors or textual variants are. Now, because of that, uh, because of that, I hope I'm not boring y'all to death. Because of that, a, a science of studying scripture came about called textual criticism. And this field of study was all about studying all of the manuscripts that we have to examine what was accurate. Does that make sense? So it became an actual field of study called textual criticism. And you can read on that subject as well. So, let me get a little more practical with this. There's far more ancient copies of the New Testament than of any other ancient book in the entire world. You name the book. There are far more copies of manuscripts from the New Testament than any other book, uh, ancient book in the world, okay? So, because we have so many manuscripts, that automatically means that many copies were being made by scribes, there are going to be more textual variants, right? Because you have so many more copies. That just comes with the territory. Now, if we only had 10 copies of the original uh, manuscripts of the New Testament, then we would say, well, that's not very reliable. And so the New Testament would not be able to stand on solid ground like it does. But because we have 5,795 manuscripts of the New Testament, that gives us more textual variants, but at the same time, what does it do? It gives us vastly more documents to look at to understand, okay, here they accented it here and they uh, uh, did this letter here and this ending here. Let's see what all the other copies say and we can arrive at an accurate uh, understanding of God's word there. Does that make sense? So the sheer abundance of manuscripts verifies its authenticity. Okay, here's some quick examples. You ever heard of Plato? Not Plato's closet. I know, not Plato's closet. I don't know if they're named after him, inspired by him or not. But Plato's writings were in the 4th and 5th centuries. But his earliest copies that we have aren't until uh, 900 A.D. That's 1,200 years after he actually wrote them. And we only have seven copies of his work. Aristotle, you've probably heard of Aristotle, another familiar name. He wrote between 384 and 322 B.C. But the earliest copy we have is 1100 A.D., 1400 years later. And we only have 49 copies of his work. Homer, who wrote the Iliad, he wrote in 900 B.C., and the earliest copy is in 400 B.C., 500 years later. We have 643 copies of it, a little bit better. But the New Testament was written between 50 and 100 A.D., and the earliest copies we have are around 130 A.D. So less than 100 years later, and we have 5,795 copies of manuscripts. Do you see how valid that is? No other ancient document 
can stand against the validity of the New Testament. So the books we have in the New Testament were the ones that were accepted also in the churches during that time. So I mentioned the word canon the, uh, earlier. That's what we call, when you say, well, how did these books get selected? Weren't there other letters? Uh, the Apocrypha is some. There's others. Paul even mentions another letter he wrote uh, to the Corinthians. But the ones that we have in our Bible today, Old and New Testament, are the ones who were accepted by the church throughout history in those early centuries. They understood these were the ones that were divinely inspired. They were valid. These are the ones that God had given us. And, in, 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 and they were accepted as the list, I said, or canon, the group, uh, the body of letters that God has divinely inspired and given us. So... As we conclude, and I hope that's helpful, I want to help you have confidence in the Word of God and have a little bit of background knowledge, but here's what I'm saying. You can take the Bible that you have today and you can hold it in your hand and you can know without a doubt that you have the inspired Word of God that you can read for yourself. You don't need someone else to... To, to tell you what it says, you might need help, but you can read God's word for yourself. And what you have is his word as he gave it to us and intends for us to have it. If that's not the case, then we're all in trouble. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away, Mark 13, 31. So if the Bible is reliable, then its message is reliable, right? If it's not reliable, then its message is not reliable. But if it is reliable, then its message is reliable and it's true. And the message is what Paul said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Then John tells us a more familiar passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his own son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And that's the message that this book from God gives us, that we can have salvation from this God who created us and loves us, the only true God. You can have salvation in Jesus today if you don't. You've heard the word of God, the good news of Jesus that's in Scripture that He gave us. And that good news says, uh, believe the words of the good news, the gospel message, to repent of your sins, to turn away from the life you've been living, living for yourself and whatever you want to do and live for God and, be, and, and, and put your confidence in Christ. Confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be united with Him in baptism, in, in, the, in the waters of baptism and be raised to walk a new creation in Christ. That's the message of the Bible. That's the gospel good news message. And you can have that salvation today. And if you are a Christian, but you hadn't been living faithful, you've been weak in your faith and you want to grow stronger, you need prayers, this church is here for you. We'll pray for you. We'll serve you in any way we can. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.